Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm 15 this morning. Psalm 15, picking up in verse 1. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we pray that you might help us to receive your word. Help us to take heed what it says. And through your Spirit, bring conviction upon our hearts and cause us to desire to change those areas, Lord, that need to be changed by the gospel of Christ. We pray that you would do this, Lord. Your word is living and active. So we pray that your living and abiding word would abide with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. To enter the Navy SEALs requires you to meet a certain standard of fitness in order to be qualified. For example, you have to be able to swim 500 yards in under 13 minutes, be able to do 42 push-ups in under two minutes, 50 sit-ups in under two minutes, be able to do six pull-ups, run a mile and a half in under 11 minutes. That's just to get you into initial training. Then there's many months of training after that and continuing to have to evaluate and make sure that you meet the certain standards. But the thing that you won't find in something like this is a character qualification. In fact, you won't find this in many other places, whether it's an academic institution or a place of employment if you're trying to interview somewhere. You might be required to take a personality test, but personality tests don't always, not very accurately, don't very much tell you about one's character. But very few places analyze someone's character or require somebody to meet a certain character qualifications. Right? Most, people's, most places of employment or institutions don't really care about how you are perceived by your neighbors, how well you manage your home, are your children well-behaved, how's your marriage. Most places don't consider whether or not you're a person who keeps their word. In no other place where character is so vital and so necessary than in the life of the church. And the psalmist begins by asking a very important question, who shall sojourn in God's tent and dwell on his holy hill? 
And then the rest of the psalm is given to giving us character qualifications. How do we know that we meet the standard to be permitted into the dwelling place of God? And so the psalm gives us these character qualifications, essentially telling us the kind of person that God will welcome. So this is our one and only point this morning, the kind of person that God will welcome. So we begin with a character evaluation. Again, verse 1 says, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly, who does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. So in order to be able to sojourn in God's tent and dwell in his holy hill, it is required that this person be consistent in their character. It's asking for sort of this Trinitarian agreement between a person's speech, between a person's actions, and a person's heart. Do these align? Are these in harmony? In harmony? Or does this person have a tendency to say something but mean something else in his heart? In that sense, there's, this, there's no consistency there. There's a person like Nathaniel, when Jesus found him and called him to be his disciple. He says, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. In other words... What you get before you is what you get. This is a person who tells it like it is. This is a person that you don't have to question whether or not they're being honest. This is the kind of person that can be admitted into the holy hill of God. This is the kind of person who doesn't put on a good show, who gives off a certain personality, and depending on where he is or she is, but is different at home or is different in the church. This is a person who doesn't compromise his integrity, who will not allow anything to put a stain in their character. This is the kind of person whose paths lead him heavenward. So if you were to follow this person, would this person lead you on the paths of God? Would this person lead you to look to the Lord? Or does this person lead you in a different direction or in, a confu- or in confusing directions? A person like this is like a steady ocean, where his character is like a steady ocean. If you were to be on a raft on the character of this person's ocean, would it be pretty steady? Would it be calm and quiet? Nothing to fear, nothing to worry about. Because the ocean is consistent. It is stable. Next, relationship to others is considered. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. So this concerns one's areas of relationships. Right, from those closest and those furthest. What is this person's attitudes and actions towards others? What is this person like? If we were to go to somebody that you work with, or somebody who is your neighbor, or somebody who just is close to you, and I were to ask them, tell me about this person, tell me about you, what would they say? This person protects the reputations of others. 
it seeks to honor the person in that way, even if the person, even as they say, for example, it's a next-door neighbor, and the house is unkept, you can tell from the outside, it tends to be rude, disrespectful. Even if that is the case, would you still avoid slandering the person in front of others? Or would you join the rest of the neighborhood in talking badly about this person? It's a difference between, say, a Homer Simpson and a Ned Flanders. I certainly hope that you would rather be a Ned Flanders than a Homer Simpson. I think we can all certainly agree that we would rather have a Ned Flanders as a neighbor than a Homer Simpson. One is certainly better than the other. One, this is a distinguishable difference between the two. That's probably the only time you'll hear me reference the Simpsons in a sermon, by the way. And if you don't know anything about Homer Simpson or Ned Flanders, good for you. <laughs> so they protect the reputation of others. And they despise those who are reprobate. Who shall dwell on your holy hill? Who shall sojourn in your tent? He who in whose he in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. There's a contrast here between what is pleasant and what is unpleasant, and this person notices the, notices, notices the difference. He understands them quite intimately. This is a person who is attracted to those who walk in the fear of the Lord. It doesn't say it doesn't. It's not that it doesn't mean that this person sort of stays away from those who do not walk in the fear of the Lord. Right? And to some degree, you cannot help but be around unbelievers. Right? You work with them. Many of them are your neighbors. You engage with them at the grocery store. It's not a call to sort of be away from the world, but there is a distinguishable difference between your life and the life of the person who does not walk in the fear of the Lord. It says in Psalm 1, but there's the man who walks or who does not walk in the ways of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Right? In other words, his fellowship, those that he is most acquainted with, those who he is most familiar with, is not with unbelievers, but there's a distinguishable difference. You cannot help but be around them, but being around unbelievers doesn't mean that you must be willing to compromise your walk with the Lord. You cannot help but be around them, but it does not mean that you have to show approval to those things that the Bible condemns. This person also keeps his word. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This is a person that others can trust. His yes is a yes, his no is a no. There's no question about it. When he gives his word, you can trust that this person is giving their word and that they will follow through. It doesn't mean that you can never break a promise. Right? Sometimes we give our word to someone 
And then later on, we come to discover or come to realize new information. And then that requires us to evaluate that new information and see whether or not we can continue to follow in our word. And sometimes, based on the new information that we have, we cannot. But it speaks to the, to the character of a person. Generally, are you a person who keeps your word? It's a difference between walking on solid ground or walking on a high wire. When it comes to relationship with others... Can people trust you at your word? Can people feel like they are walking on level, steady ground because you have shown yourself to have that kind of character that can be, trust, can be trusted? This person is also generous and just. Who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who does not put out his money at interest. It does not take a bribe against the innocent. God commanded the Israelites, when they see somebody part of the covenant community who was in need, that if they were to lend them money in order to them to get back on their feet, that they are to do so without charging interest. Because this is a way of loving their brother or sister. In other words, they're not looking for to, to gain something out of somebody else's need and poverty. But they care about those who are in need. Not only that, but they are masters of their financial estate. They're masters of their own money. And they are not mastered by money. They're not driven by greed. they are desirous of leaving people in a better position than when they found them. So this is the kind of person who will be permitted to dwell on the holy hill of the Lord. But notice, it's a lot of do's and don'ts. Right? Do this, do this, do this, do this. Right? And if you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that salvation and righteousness comes to us through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and not through our own works. Right? How do you square that up with this? Right? Nowhere here does it say anything about faith or believing in God or trusting in God. So how do we reconcile that with the gospel of Jesus Christ? But before we do that, consider the character qualifications that's written in this psalm. As we work through these qualifications, if at any moment you thought to yourself, well, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I don't slander anybody, even in my own thoughts. I don't take a reproach against somebody and, just, and bring disdain on the reputation. I don't join with what the wicked do in the world. I keep my word. I'm usually pretty generous with the things that God has given to me. If you have ever thought at any moment that you were doing pretty well, there might be an indication you might not be doing as well as you thought or as you think you are. But let's reconsider this list. With regards to your character, right? do you always walk in integrity? Does your speech always line up with your actions? Do they always line up with your heart? Do you always do what is right according to God's word? Right, when others see you, are they seeing 
a false picture? Are you someone different in the church than you are outside? Are there any sins that you might be hiding from even the people who are closest to you? Is your character at times rocky and tumultuous like an ocean? Do you fail at times to be consistent? Do people around you feel like they have to wear a life jacket, embrace themselves because they don't know exactly how you will respond at any given moment? But if that's the case, then your character isn't consistent. What about with reputation of others? Do you honor the reputation of others? You might do so, right? You might avoid talking ill or negatively about neighbors or perhaps co-workers or perhaps, perhaps, by, uh, perhaps uh, for those who are above you. But is it the same in your heart and in your thoughts? Do you honor them? What about your closest relationships? What about those who are your closest friends? Or how about in your own household with regards to your children, with regards to your spouse? How are those relationships? Are you being honorable towards those who are closest to you? In the workplace, do you join your co-workers in the coffee room to gossip about others. The passage tells us that this person speaks no evil, does not slander others. And sometimes we might feel justified in doing so, right? People might speak ill of us or do ill things to us, right? But the Bible tells us to not retaliate. So the Bible tells us in a way to sort of be sponges to Sort of, we have to sort of soak it all in and take it all in without dishing it out. With regards to the evil and the wicked, do you have a tendency to honor the godless more than the godly? Perhaps trying to appease those who are unbelievers, perhaps to appease them because you desire a, a promotion of some sort, or to get in the good graces, to show more honor to the unbelievers, to the wicked, than you do to God's people. The apostle tells us in the book of Philippians, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Speaking to the church, a way of honoring one another is about counting each other more significant than our own selves. Do you have a tendency to praise the works of the wicked? Do you encourage their behavior by laughing, perhaps, at their crude jokes? Are there things that you do, perhaps such as cursing, that might give others some sort of impression that you're just like them? When the Lord has called you to be something different. How about with regards to keeping your word? Do you? Keep your word. Are you the kind of person that others can trust? Do you provide that steady ground for others, or is trusting you like walking on a tightrope, on a high wire, trying to cause, like, trying to balance yourself? I can't tell. Like, I, this person's giving me his word, but I, I can't really trust him. 
It's either or, depending on the situation, depending on the occasion, depending on the season, I'm not really sure if I can trust this person. Or about with generosity? And how are you doing with your personal finances? Is there a desire for more wealth to the neglect of those who are in need, especially those of the household of God? It's not that it is bad to increase one's financial estate, but there is something wrong if it is to the neglect of the needs that you know are around you. 1 John 3.17 says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? As we consider the character qualifications of what is required for one to be permitted into the holy hill of God, to dwell in the presence of God, right, we might admit to ourselves that we fail. Right? We don't quite measure up. And that's the point. The point is that on our own, we do not measure up. This is a question addressed to God. And ultimately, God is the one who will determine who stays out and who comes in. You see, what this psalm requires of us is a careful analysis, a self-examination. Let us consider ourselves. Are we fit to come before the presence of God? Can we actually dwell in the holy hill of the Lord? This question comes from a person who generally desires to know and has the answers. It doesn't come from a person who asks a question and doesn't really know how to know the answer. But this is a genuine question with truthful answers. We see something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5-7, through 7, Jesus gives this sermon. And in that sermon, if you're familiar with it, there's a lot of do's and don'ts. Right? Do this, do this, give, pray, do not commit adultery, do not lust, do not be angry with your brother. Then towards the end of the sermon, Jesus says in Matthew 7, 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. A lot of do's and don'ts in that sermon. But the sermon itself is not essentially about a list of do's and don'ts. In fact, Matthew 5.20, in that sermon, Jesus gets to the heart of that sermon, which has everything to do with this psalm. He says in Matthew 5.24, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, you need a righteousness that doesn't come from yourself. You need a righteousness that doesn't come from your own works. You need a righteousness that isn't just based on everything that you do. Because otherwise, you'll never get to the presence of God. The religious teachers, the scribes, the Pharisees, they were much better at doing than you and I could ever be. And Jesus still tells them, they do not have a righteousness that is required in order to come to the presence of God. 
And so what Jesus is calling for in that sermon, I think what this psalm is also calling for, is for us to pursue a righteousness that isn't our own. Consider the word blameless. It says, he who walks blameless shall dwell in the holy hill of the Lord. Let me give you some examples of people in the Bible who were considered blameless. Genesis 6, 9, it tells us Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Genesis 17, 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And Abraham was considered blameless because God did, in fact, create a covenant or make a covenant with him and gave him a promised son. Job 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Luke 1, verse 5, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Blamelessness does not mean sinlessness. That's not what it's getting at. These individuals were not sinless. Abram was a liar. Noah got drunk. Even Job himself said some questionable things about the Lord in his speeches to his friends. So it's not that they were sinless. It's not that blamelessness calls for sinlessness. That's impossible. Only Jesus is sinless. But what we see in common between all these individuals and others that characterize their life by this blamelessness is that they desire to please the Lord. That is why Noah was spared. That is why Job was tested and tempted and blessed. That is why Abram left all that he gave, all that he had, was familiar with, to follow God. Because ultimately, they desired to please the Lord. And that is what blamelessness is characterized by. A desire to please the Lord. So we come to this psalm question we should ask ourselves, who would ask this kind of question? The person that would ask this kind of question is a person who desires to please the Lord. It's a person who generally desires to be in the presence of God. Not only that, but also shows fruit of that desire. So I desire to please the Lord. I desire to live in the presence of God. And so I'm by my life. I'm going to show how much I desire to be in the presence of God. This is unlike the rich young man in the Gospels. In Matthew 19, this rich young man comes to Jesus, says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, 
All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, in different gospels, says Jesus also says, tells us also Jesus loved him. Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I think this young man came to Jesus and genuinely desired an answer to his question. He wanted to know, how do I get eternal life? And notice how Jesus responds. He gives him a list of do's. Do this, do this, do this, do this. He says, I've done all these things. There's the first red flag right there. No, you haven't actually. Not, you haven't at all. Not perfectly, not in the way that God requires. But Jesus goes further and says, go sell all you have and come and follow me. And right there, he's getting to the heart of the matter, that it isn't just about do's and don'ts, but it is about embracing Christ Jesus as your Savior. Are you willing to let go of your worldly possessions to embrace and accept Christ as your Savior? Only then will you have eternal life. And only then can you, then, can you follow these commandments in the way that God prescribes for his people. And so this is a call to embrace the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this calls us to analyze ourselves, to examine ourselves. It's probably the great imperative of Psalm 15. And this is intended to be a means of grace. Examine yourself. It's a a language of the New Testament. Examine yourself. Test yourself to make sure that you are in the faith, that you do not fall. Take a look at your actions. Consider your speech. Analyze your own heart. And is there a desire to please the Lord in all that you do? And the great thing about God is that He is good, He is merciful, and He is compassionate. And the reason why we can come before the Lord and examine ourselves and even humbly admit that we don't quite measure up is because God willingly and freely still invites us to Himself and forgives us of our sins. without fear of reproach, without fear of judgment or condemnation. Even as we come together on Sunday mornings, it's a time to examine ourselves. What things are we lacking? What things will be improved? What fruit are we not bearing? What sins are we struggling with? And there's opportunity for us to come into the presence of Christ. And if we will come before it in, in humility and confession of our sins and that humbly admitting to ourselves that we do not measure up, Christ Jesus receives those who come to him in that heart. But there also must be an intention of changing as well. That even if we come before the Lord and we consider the ways that we don't quite measure up according to the psalm, and in trusting that Christ Jesus will still receive us, that there is still an intention in our heart before we leave this morning to change, because that is repentance. That is turning away from sin and in turning to Christ. For any who are here and do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, 
you might consider yourself a generally good person. But you might not slander other people. You might not gossip about others. You might generally keep your word and faithful to your word. You're a pretty consistent person, consistent in your personality, consistent in your character. You might also be pretty generous with others. But according to the psalm, according to the scriptures, you still do not measure up to come before the holy presence of God. Because one thing you still lack, and that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness of Christ that comes through believing in Jesus and following the Lord Jesus. Trusting that he is a son of God who's come down from heaven to live, to die, and rise again so that all those who place their faith in him may have his righteousness, they may have eternal life, may have forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God and not have the judgment and wrath of God. And then the psalm concludes with a promise. It says, He who does these things shall never be moved. Those who strive to be this kind of person as laid out for us in Psalm 15 with a genuine desire to please the Lord in all that they do, in all aspects of their life, it tells us they have a secure place on God's holy hill, that they cannot be moved, that they are fixed there permanently. The promise is that your dwelling place is with God. Jesus ends his sermon on the mount by saying these words in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Right, if you have believed in the gospel of Christ, if you have committed to living your life for the Lord Jesus and embraced him as Savior, then you are a part of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You are a permanent citizen of that heavenly kingdom. And your dwelling place is with God. This psalm isn't intended to necessarily to question our salvation, to cast doubt upon our salvation, but rather this psalm and other passages of Scripture are written for us as a means of grace in order for us to have greater assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. It is for us to walk in the joy of our salvation, knowing that it doesn't come from us, but knowing that it comes from the Lord Jesus you can have a confidence of your assurance that is as fixed as the Himalayan mountains. And the Lord wants you to have that level of confidence. And that's why His Word is given to us, so that we may know that we are walking rightly before the Lord, so that we may make sure that our hearts are right before God with an eye to please the Lord and not please ourselves. No, this psalm is written for your assurance, for your confidence in the Lord Jesus. And if you lack confidence, the Bible wants you to grow in that confidence. By giving attention to this psalm and turning in the right direction, 
turning to the Lord Jesus and continuing to make Him the foundation of your righteousness. We must be in a pattern of self-analysis so we ourselves can maintain the fitness that is required of us by the Lord. But the most important part of our fitness must be humility, the humility that admits our faults, that admits our sins, that admits that we don't measure up, and the humility also to embrace Christ Jesus as our righteousness and as our salvation with an eye to please Him. So having done that, let us then walk carefully in His commandments so that we may one day be in the presence of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we often fail. There are times when our sins are ever before us and we are plagued with guilt and shame. And sometimes we fail to come to you because we feel inadequate, because we feel like we just don't measure up. And that is the honest truth that we don't measure up. Lord, you are gracious and compassionate. You are merciful. Your word even tells us that your mercies are renewed each and every morning. And so each and every day is another invitation for the saints to come before you in humility, in confession, in repentance. And we have the freedom to do this because we know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We can come before your presence knowing that we will not be condemned, knowing that we will not be judged, knowing that we will not be cast out. Because we know that Christ Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. So Lord, give us the confidence, give us the courage to continue to come before you in humility. And Lord, help us to walk in the fear of the Lord, to do what your word commands us to do, trusting in Jesus as our righteousness and not trusting in our own works. Increase our desire to please you in all that we do. May our lives be characterized by blamelessness. Give us the blamelessness of Noah, of Abram, of Job, of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Lord, give us that blamelessness. Help us to walk in that blamelessness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.